The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Each week on the Pet Buzz, our mission is to enhance the bond between pets and their people. And Doc Fleck and I are coming directly from the Epi Pet Studios on the Gulf Coast of Florida. We welcome our listeners who tune in each week from around the world. You know, Doc, it was a big weekend in the surfing world. How so? Well, hundreds of dog lovers and dozens of dogs gathered for the World Dog Surfing Championship in California. The event held at Pacifica State Beach near San Francisco saw wave riding pooches judged on everything from technique to confidence and the size of the waves. Well, the mutts <laughs> are placed in group according to size from small to medium and large to very large. Uh, there are also tandem dog classes as well as tandem, which is human and dogs, with their owners joining their pups on the board. Saturday's event, billed as the premier dog surfing event in the world, has been held in San Francisco. Uh, area since 2006. You know, dog surfing is so amazing. The dogs all breeds and all mixes, shapes and sizes who surf love it and their owners are so into it. You know, my god dog Kalani uh, back in the day was a top surfer. Her career is really almost coming to an end. But back in the day, I mean, I've seen her win numerous awards surfing in the San Diego area and really a little beyond that. And I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I, you know, I've seen her one large dog competition. She's a golden retriever as well as tandem. The dogs who surf, they love it. I mean, they're really, truly athletes. I mean, staying on that board with those waves requires so much balance. But the thing that's so interesting to me up in San Francisco, those waters are really full of a lot of sharks. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, wow. Well, I'm feeling a little generous today, so I want to offer up a freebie to one of our listeners. How about this? Go ahead. Tell them what they might win, Dr. Flack. Generous. Okay. First dog dad who posts a picture of their pet doing his or her pet's favorite activity will win some Hunter's Healthy Treats, those yummy, all-natural, soft-baked dog treats made with pumpkin, peanut butter, and sweet potatoes. Yeah, well, everyone can check them out at huntershealthytreats.com. So you're up, Doc. Tell us about the lineup for today on the show. Colorado State University's Dr. Rushika Pereira is speaking about how global warming is affecting mosquitoes and how we have to protect ourselves and our pets from mosquito-borne illnesses. We are also gabbing about the Seattle Mariners and their newest free agent, the Today Show Animal Antics and Canine UTI. And there's a lot more, including cat vaccinations like regular physical examinations and quality nutrition are an essential part of your cat's health program. Thanks to vaccination, cats no longer have to suffer from several potentially fatal diseases. Preventing disease is a much simpler, kinder, and usually more affordable 
than treating them. We are pleased to welcome veterinarian Dr. Michael Lappin. He is the director of the Center for Companion Animal Studies at Colorado State University and the chair of the World's Small Clinical Veterinary Association, One Health Committee. He is a professor of infectious disease in the Department of Clinical Sciences. His laboratory studies immune responses to vaccination against respiratory viruses in cats, as well as immune response to feline vaccines. Dr. Lappin is also director of shelter medicine and investigates disease outbreaks and manages in shelter settings. So Dr. Lappin, we are really pleased to welcome you to the Pet Buzz today. Oh my goodness, I am so honored to get to be with you guys. <laughs> well, we're excited to yeah. have you. And I have the first question. So Dr. Lappin, why are feline vaccinations so important, especially now? Oh my gosh, you know, some of those infectious agents that we can prevent with vaccines can actually kill you. Think about rabies, right? So very important, both for the cat as well as the owner. And then many of the other agents that we can protect against with vaccines make your cat pretty darn sick. You know, it's interesting because one of the things that I'm seeing in the news as a pet owner, not obviously specialistos like you both, is upper respiratory infections with cats. Are we seeing an increase of that? I'm, I see more people talking about it everywhere I go, whether it's in the newspaper or in, in conversations with cat owners. I tell you what, you can see the color of my hair. Each one of these was a cat with chronic respiratory disease. It is a huge part of veterinary medicine, trying to keep those poor kitties in remission. They get basically a chronic cold. And the good news is, uh, I don't think the numbers are increasing because they've been really high forever. But vaccines can lessen how sick your cat gets if they happen to have one of those respiratory infections. So really important to vaccinate for respiratory. Yeah, but because of those upper respiratory problems, like you have your hair the color it is, mine's different color because I color it, but I have <laughs> the same issues. And, and, it's, and it's also interesting too, but with, with cats versus the canine, there's a lot more feral cats probably than there are feral dogs. So it would seem like they would be more transmissible for those diseases that we are concerned with. Yeah, and even though they're kind of isolated animals when they're out in the wild, they do decolonate sometimes. And then you got the two that we prevent very well, the Kalishi and the, the famous herpes virus. The vaccines actually do help them by lessening their illness. So really important for pet cats. Good point. Very good point. You know, everybody's interested in COVID. Do you think we will eventually see a COVID vaccine for cats since they can spread COVID to other cats and Maybe to humans? Yeah, that's such a great comment question because, you know, uh, the cats are a permissive host, meaning if we as the infected human, if we cough, sneeze, the cat in our family would be the next most likely to become infected compared to our kids. They would be number one. Uh, the dogs are a little bit more resistant. The good news, uh, they are also, when infected, short-lived infections. And so back to the question about vaccine, there's actually already an effective vaccine that's not marketed yet. But really, the key is 
if the human doesn't have the infection, you won't infect your cat. So our current uh, guidelines from the World Small Animal Veterinary Association, I'm the One Health Chair, our current guidelines is don't let your family get COVID and then you don't have to worry about your cat or your dog. So get yourself vaccinated is the current key. All this talk about vaccines, I mean, I know about them, <laughs> but how do they work? And, and are there any side effects? Yeah, great question, Charlotte. Uh, yeah, so we've got the B cells, the B lymphocytes that make tons of antibodies. And then their friends, the T as in Tom cells, which then can kill some viruses by themselves and help the body make antibodies. Those kind of two major parts of the immune system are turned on by vaccines. And so then we can have those responses if you're exposed, then you won't get as sick or sometimes not sick at all. In fact, we can block panleukopenia and rabies 100% by vaccines. So really important is turning on the immune system. So if you're exposed in the future. Well, if you've just joined us, we're speaking with Dr. Michael Lappin, professor of infectious diseases at Colorado State University. Dr. Fleck, you had a question. So... What are the core feline vaccinations and can you also review the non-core vaccinations for cats? Yeah, that's great. I was talking to my mom about that a while ago. So when we say core, those are the ones that we think all cats should get. And for the majority of the world, that would include rabies because of being dangerous to humans as well as the cats. And then the one called panleukopenia, which is a parvovirus, just like parvo, the vomiting and diarrhea in puppies, that one's a really dangerous one for cats. And so it's always been considered core. And since panleukopenia is combined with the herpes and the caliche, the respiratory ones we talked about a second ago, that kind of turned into the major core ones, herpes, caliche, which are respiratory, panluke, which is a gastrointestinal, rabies, which is neurological and can kill cats and people. And then the other ones, some people even call them optional, you know, the non-core, would be things like feline leukemia, which does cause leukemia and cancer in cats, but that one's a lot more important for outdoor cats, right? Because they're going to get exposed to other cats. So a lot of people don't vaccinate for feline leukemia. Their cat's 100% indoors. And then there are a couple of other of the optionals that we can use. Well, we need to end the segment and go to a commercial break. Dr. Lappin, can you stick around for another segment? Absolutely. Great. Well, more of Dr. Lappin as well as Celebrity Pet Buzz and Flex Facts. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with, all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese, and guess what? Egg rolls showed up, like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. 
Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz. This show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm veterinarian, Dr. Michael Fleck. And I'm pet trendologist, Charlotte Reed. So we're back with Dr. Michael Lappin. He is a professor of infectious diseases in the Department of Clinical Sciences at Colorado State University. His laboratory studies really are about immune responses to vaccinations against respiratory viruses in cats, as well as immune responses to feline vaccines. So we've got the right person here to talk about feline vaccines. Always a big question with veterinarians. Uh, Is it better to vaccinate your cat every year or every three years? Oh, man, doctor, that is a great question. That's a great question. Well, I think we all would agree. You don't want to get things you don't need. And so we looked for extended intervals. You know, what's the longest time that it's safe to go between vaccines? Because you don't want to lose your immunity, right, to say babies or panleukopenias. It's so, so dangerous. And so good news, many of the organisms we protect against with vaccines, the vaccines can be every third year. And then others like respiratory, the agents like that herpes we were talking about, sometimes they might need to be boosted more frequently. And that's where Dr. Buck and I come in when you come to see us as veterinarians, we can sort that all out for you. We have great guidelines, but it's really important for your individual vet help you decide your risk factors for that year or that coming one to three years. And that's where the yearly exam is so important. We find things that we might be able to treat so they don't get sicker, and we can then prevent things better knowing that cat's lifestyle. The, you know, the injection site. What, what is, what is a feline injection sarcoma, and what do we need to know about them, and Talk to us about the frequency. That's a really great question, Doc. So I really wanted the audience to hear this. We, uh, CSU, happened to be one of the first places studying that with my colleague, Dr. Macy. And it is true, inflammation under the skin, not just vaccines, which is why we now call it injection site, sarcomas, uh, actually have developed in some cats. But, you know, that's been about 20-something years now, and the vaccine companies have cleaned up their vaccines, the vets like Doc and I have changed the intervals. Some cats only need it three years, we give it three years. And because of all the things that were done when that tumor was first recognized, we are down to somewhere between one and 16,000 to one and 50,000 cats. So it's extremely rare. And kudos to the vaccine manufacturers and the vets for working together so hard to make that problem basically disappear. That is not a thing to think about for vaccinating yes or no. It is now you would only think about it if your cat had had one before or because they can get it again. But with those ratios of one to 16,000 to one to 50,000, yeah, you don't need to turn your hair my color thinking about that tumor anymore, unless your cat has had one. Certainly interesting information to give to our clients when they ask about that. One in 50,000. I think that should probably quell their concern. So Dr. Lappin, can you share with us your website so our listeners can learn more? Oh, absolutely. Uh, What you should do is go to Google or one of those search engines and type in Veterinary Teaching Hospital, Colorado State, and you'll have a wealth of information at your fingertips about lots of great things here at CSU. Now it's time for Celebrity Pet News. Well, today's show co-anchor Craig Melvin is in Barney Rubble or Big Trouble with his co-host Hoda Kotobe. 
And here's why. The Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens is looking for help on what to name its newborn baby hippopotamus after Mother Hippo Bibi gave birth this past week. Jenna Wingate, Cincinnati Zoo senior hippo keeper, said on Friday on today's Can't Miss, we're taking suggestions right now. That's all we know for now, but we would love to hear from all of you about your suggestions, directing viewers to the online name suggestion form. But Craig Melvin then looked at his co-anchor Hoda Katobe and suggested Hoda the Hippo. Savannah Gunthrie said, now why would you think that would be a good idea? Well, Melvin clarified because of the H. Now, Craig, you know that wasn't cute. It was just plain rude. You should know by now, having a mother that you love very much and a wife that you love very much, you should never refer, joke, or say anything that contribute, reference, or compare a woman to an animal, let alone one that is extremely round or weighty. Here at the Pet Buzz, while we may be team animals at the Cincinnati Zoo, we are definitely team Hoda all the way. And now it's time for Flex Facts. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers. I want the truth. Hey, Dr. Fleck, what's the topic for this week? Something that I see plenty of in my practice. We're going to be talking about UTIs, urinary tract infections. We know that UTIs are common in cats, but dogs get them too and experience similar types of symptoms. Urinary tract infections are common in dogs and are more frequent in older dogs, maybe ages seven and up. Female dogs are prone to these infections. Male dogs have a longer urethra, meaning bacteria takes longer to travel upwards. Either way, the condition should be treated once symptoms are observed for a faster recovery. So then what are the causes of a UTI? You know, the most common causes of UTIs in dogs is bacteria, which enters upward through the urethral opening. The bacteria can develop when feces or debris enters the area, or if your dog's immune system is weakened from maybe a lack of nutrients. In many cases, E. coli is the bacterium that causes such infections. So why don't you review the symptoms for us? Well, you know, symptoms could include bloody and or cloudy urine, straining or whimpering during urination, accidents in the house, wanting to be let outside more frequently, dribbling urine, licking around the urinary opening, and possibly a fever. So then what's the treatment and diagnosis? Your veterinarian will review your dog's health history and symptoms and likely will conduct, first of all, a urinalysis. This typically includes either you or the veterinarian obtaining a urine sample from the dog to be examined for bacteria, crystals, and protein. Once the vet determines the cause, he will usually give the dog a round of antibiotics for usually a minimum of three weeks. Be sure your dog finishes the antibiotics entirely to prevent the infection from reoccurring unless otherwise instructed by your vet. It's recommended that you increase your dog's water intake as well to flush out bacteria during urination. You may need to bring your dog back for a second visit. I always have them come back. So your veterinarian can conduct a second urinalysis to determine if the infection is cleared. So quick question for you. How do you collect the urine? Do you hold a cup under the dog while he or she is urinating? Many, many people tell me that's very embarrassing 
out in the yard trying to collect that urine, but you're absolutely right. Try to collect that and keep it as clean as possible. As a matter of fact, a lot of the laboratories don't like it unless we actually sedate our pet and give an injection or put the needle through the abdomen into the bladder and collect what we would call a sterile sample. Now, is there any chance that the dog could reinfect himself? That's not the right word, but you know. That's why you go back for an evaluation with the, with the veterinarian because the veterinarian will evaluate not only the urine, but will evaluate the symptomatology that's going on. So you could maybe even have a clear chemistry test, but still have symptoms. So that usually tells the veterinarian that another segment of treatment would probably be in order. My next question is, should you give the dog yogurt because you're giving the dog antibiotics? Or, or cranberry. Okay, you can give your yeah, dog cranberry sure. juice, but no sugar. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, you... that's, that, I, rec- I recommend that all the time. You can get repeated activity of bladder infections because that's what these usually are. If you do have repeated bouts of it, then the doctor in, will probably want to follow up with additional testing with maybe imaging like x-rays, uh, ultrasound, To see if there's cetera, something more serious. Because there could be crystals maybe that aren't seen okay. or even stones. Anything else, Dr. Fleck? That's all the Flex facts for the week. Up next, I bet you can't wait for my I like you for the week. According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Epi-Pet.com. EpiPet is another proud partner of the Pet Buzz. Well, anyway, there's one cool cat in St. Pete that is making a big splash in the water. His name is Fisher, and this fantastic feline is known for his love of the water. Now his owner is parlaying his love of the water into publicity, product, and cash. So joining us today is Lorraine Rip, who is here to talk about her water-loving cat. Welcome to the Pet Buzz, Lorraine. It's so nice to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I look for any opportunity to talk about Fisher. He's just a joy. So just the pictures look fantastic, and he looks like a joy, the ones that I see online. So tell us about your cat and his love of the water. How did that happen? Well, you know, his dad, Finn, is a fourth-generation captain, and we travel a lot. So he knew he really wanted to make sure we had a cat that was going to be pretty easygoing with traveling and water. And we scooped him up when he was about eight weeks old, started just putting him in the car, just pretended like everything was normal, started putting him in a kiddie pool so he could play in a little bit of water, put some toys in there with a little more water. And then before we knew it, we were just taking him out on the boat and putting him on the paddleboard with us, and he loved it. That's going to be my next question, but you answered it already. So obviously he's very tolerant, uh, very easygoing, and I think that's a really interesting way to introduce a cat to water. Because you spent so much traveling, he was going to be outside. So putting mm-hmm. him in a pool, obviously, with supervision and then filling it up. And then did one day you turn around and there he was swimming? Pretty much. I mean, we took him out on the boat and we were trying to just see if he was going to be interested in it. And he literally got on the paddleboard with me when we were on the boat. And he saw Finn and jumped from the paddleboard to swim towards Finn. So if he sees one of us, he wants to swim towards us. But when he was doing it, Finn was like, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. See what he does. And he literally like 
pod at the water and then jumped in and then swam towards him. Wow. So what other sports does he um, really take part in? Does he kayak too? I mean, you I see mean, paddleboard. We haven't taken him out on a kayak. And it's funny because I was born in Florida, but I was raised in Arizona. So I, I grew up in Tucson and then moved back here in 2000. And um, my fiance, Finn, he's a true fish. I have had to learn. So Fisher and I learned how to paddleboard together. Um, he loves being on the boat. He has his little remote control car, which I'm sure he thinks that he is driving without us. He loves being on the bike with Finn. Like we have a basket on the front of Finn's bike and he just will rest his paw up there and the, his hair just blows in the breeze and he absolutely loves it. I mean, he's pretty much game for trying anything. And you know, what we do is we just try to incentivize him with lots of good treats and lots of love. And if he's a little skittish, we just encourage him. And if he really doesn't like it, then we just know he found a boundary and we don't do it. What I find is so interesting, as you can imagine, as you're paddle boarding or doing any type of water sports, um, the remote car, is it a remote boat you said or a remote car? It's a car. It's a okay. Jeep. Yeah. So he's like riding, is he riding around like your neighborhood? Yeah. So, I mean, we live in a beautiful area that has great sidewalks and we'll literally take him out there and we'll just drive and we're walking behind him. And it's hilarious how people's responses are. And he makes people smile. We hear that all the time, like, oh, that just made my day. Or, you know, it's a cat in the stroller. I thought it was going to be a kid. Who knew? So. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, that's the next thing I was going to ask you. I'm sure people's responses are, they're actually astonished and they probably do all that pointing. And I'm sure a few people run up to you. I'm sure probably the best comments come from kids, correct? Pretty much. I mean, and kids are sweet. Actually, kids are sweeter and more considerate than most adults. Like I've had kids come up and they'll run up and they go, can we pet him or can we touch your cat or whatever? And it's very sweet. And we just say, yeah, just put your hand out and say hi to Fisher. And like sometimes we'll get little kids like three years old and they'll go, hi, Fisher. Like they just talk to him. It's adorable. And Fisher's so patient and he doesn't mind. And he just, you know, he'll let you pet him. And he's just really sweet with kids. So it, and it is funny because, you know, again, we take them just about anywhere. We take them to restaurants. When we've gone to bars, people are like, is that a baby stroller? And we're like, no, it's just a cat. It's fine. From what I understand, Fisher has this nightlife uh, up in St. Pete. He's, uh, you know, a celebrity, a local celebrity at nightclubs and bars. You mentioned, you know, restaurants and things like mm -hmm. that. So, I mean, you're, he's in the stroller. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you... Do people, I mean, obviously we know animals are not allowed in restaurants unless they're, you know, therapy or actually service dogs, not therapy mm -hmm. dogs, but service dogs. Um, you know, I guess, you know, some people break the rules for you, I'm sure. Well, and we sit outside. Okay, so, so you sit outside. So you're mm -hmm. all legal. You're all legal. We love that. We're legal so far, yes, and absolutely compliant. And the running joke is, is if I ever... You know, if we're traveling or whatever, I ever want to go out with just Fisher, I, you know, I have a buddy in crime. Like, he's my partner in crime. I never drink alone because I have Fisher with me. So it really works out. Do you guys talk to each other? Do you talk to him when you're out? You know, I talk to him. He's pretty much ignoring me. He just waits for other people to come to him. He sits and holds court. That's basically what he does is he'll sit there and people come up to him and he's just like, okay, thank you. Like, he acknowledges them. He's very posh. So, and you know, and he's very well behaved, like he doesn't jump around, he just stays in his stroller and just judgingly stares at others and 
he has a two drink maximum, so he doesn't get out of control. And, you know, he's a very like, well behaved partner. Is it like fermented milk or like what's he drinking? <laughs> right. What should be his drink of choice? There's got to be a good one. Well, well it's we'll funny because that. there's now this drink called cat milk. There's dog milk, too. I just saw it when I was at Global That's Pet funny. Expo. I, I, I will try to get some for you. That, but, that would be hilarious. I've yeah. seen that there's like a, a cat wine or something like that. And I'm like, well, that's. Yeah, I, I know I there's know dog wine, but I don't know if it's cat wine. I would just think it would be like some water with some grapes in it or something for the color. You know, coming from some okay. vineyard, they wanted to do something. But yeah, I can see, you know, I can see Fisher, you know, drinking his cat milk. Like, hey, it's it's cat milk, you know. It's good. Now, I ordered it. Do you take his accoutrements with him, like his travel bowl and things like that when you go to restaurants? Oh, yeah. So whenever we go somewhere, either like there's always the litter box in the car. So he's secure and he can do whatever he needs to do when he needs to do it. And that there's usually dirt or anything like we'll walk him around maybe in like an area of the parking lot. He goes to the bathroom outside. He has no problem with that. On a um, leash. He, on a leash. Oh, yeah. He's always on a leash because he's still an animal. Like I sure. trust him, but I don't trust him that much. And he's so good. He just walks with you unless he wants to go somewhere and then you really have to direct him. But We'll go to the bathroom. We bring his food and his water. And he, in his stroller, we always have, um, he has a cooling fish in there. You can either put it in the microwave if you want to warm it up, or you can put it in the fridge so it cools him. He has a cooling pad. Like, he travels in better style than most humans. You know, I'm just laughing because, I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, when you think of a poop bag, you obviously think of a dog. But I can see you walking around your neighborhood and he just like, walk. does he go over to the dirt and poop? Oh, yeah. And sometimes I'll go in grass, but we carry poop bags because we are respectful owners. Because you're good neighbors. Yes, we good don't neighbors. leave things behind. No, I mean, that's nice to hear. You know, it's funny the yeah. way you're talking about Fisher with, with people and interacting with people. I'm surprised you don't do therapy cat work. Have you thought you about know, that? We've thought about it, but he's so young right now. We just don't know, like, if that is something he'd want to be into. But he definitely, he's really good with kids. And mm -hmm. he, he doesn't react. And we purposely had a couple of friends that have very young children and we had him around them from the time he was a kitten. And so they could get used to each other and, you know, like the screaming and the yelling and the running up and being excited. And Fisher's just very much like, okay, they're just loud, you know? And that's why we always tell people just go in and scratch his head or scratch under his chin. And like kids are just very, very sweet and responsive. They just intuitively seem to know. Um, but and we just wanted to enjoy being around other people and kids. So now I'm curious, what about adults? Do they just assume they can go and pet him? I mean, is that how it works? You know, it is interesting because we've we've been in some places and we were very cautious. Like we were very lucky we could socialize him before COVID. And when COVID happened and we didn't have any information, we didn't know if it could be transferred to pets. So we weren't letting people pet him. And there are people that just go in, like they see you and they don't acknowledge you and they just go right in for Fisher. And I'm like, he's a big cat. You just don't know if he's going to have an attitude. But, you know, so I usually just say, oh, if he, you know, just just be nice or be sweet. We only had one person that pet him like a dog. And I was like, you might want to keep that, that at bay, like. You know, because he was like roughing him up like a dog and he was like, oh, he's just really fluffy. And I was like, oh, he's yeah, not no. like that. Yeah. yeah, no. You're not a cat okay. person. And I've had cats and dogs and, you know, 
Some of my dogs would have loved that, but I was like, oh, there's a difference. There's a there's difference. There's a difference. His definitely <laughs> a difference. Well, you got to learn more about Fisher. You definitely have to follow him on Instagram and Facebook at Fisher the Maine Coon. You know, he's so into, he's inspirational to me. I mean, at one point when I interviewed Fisher's dad, Finn, I remember thinking, like, I wonder if my Himalayan would do that. But really quickly, I learned that way. He was definitely a house cat. You know, he likes to hold court, but he's not like, you know, a sports and water sports, you know, celeb like Fisher. But one of these days, I'm going to have to see Fisher in person. I'm going to have to make a date with Finn and Lorraine. And just so you know, they're getting married really soon. So I am sure that Fisher and Sailor will have a important role in their nuptials. I can't wait to see that. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz the best in pet talk radio. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Well, you don't want to miss my I Like of the Week, especially when it has to do with two of my favorite pastimes, fishing and dogs. That's the way it has to be, because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it so much. I like it. It's to die for. You know, I like to dress for success, and that includes fishing. Silverbait is my silver is my favorite. Silverbait is my favorite brand, and I just found some fishing themed apparel and toys for my dogs at PetSmart. Why wouldn't I want to share my lifestyle with my dogs? Specifically, PetSmart's Top Paw brand has a cool fishing shirt, bucket hat, and toys for my dogs. Top Paw Trout Button Dog Shirt. It's available in sizes extra small to extra large, slips on and off comfortably, closes with Velcro out the chest, closes with Velcro out the chest, and offers a comfortable fit, decorated with fun and colorful trout. The design makes for a unique fashion choice for your pup. The matching bucket hat, available in two sizes, comes with an adjustable chin strap to ensure a comfortable and secure fit. And of course, there's even a rope fish with a bone dog toy to complement the fashion statement. 100% cotton, machine washable in cold water, lay flat to dry, great for an Instagram photo, or cool wearables for a fishing trip. Check it out at PetSmart.com. Time for the Pet Buzz Mailbag. You've got mail. Well, Doc, Dave from Minnesota writes, Dr. Fleck, why does my dog eat grass? That's a great question, Dave. I hear this question in the practice at least once a week. So different vets and research institutions continue to argue about the answer to this question. Many folks believe the dogs eat grass when they have a stomach ache to make themselves throw up or do so to fill a nutritional deficit in fiber. However, owners report that only about 10% of the dogs appear unwell before eating grass. Only about a quarter of dogs vomit right after eating grass. And some dogs on high fiber diets still go for the green. So the most likely reason for your dogs, grass eating habits are boredom or they just like the taste. So should you worry about your dog eating grass? This is normal behavior that occurs in, say, one out of every two pups. As long as your dog isn't eating all kinds of plants, some of which can make them sick, grass alone is fine 
and is digestible by your dog, so there's no need for concern. You know, it's so funny because Churchill likes to eat grass. Mm -hmm. And I know you and I have discussed this, that the grass, the chemical composition of the grass changes during the seasons. So he, right now it's the summertime and he's, I don't know if he's eating grass or weeds because it is Florida. So, I mean, but he likes grass. Nobody else likes grass, just him. But, oh no, Morrow eats grass too. But, but, but the concern isn't just so much eating grass. It's what's on the grass. Right. What's on those blades of grass? The lawn fertilizer. That's what gets them sick. The lawn fertilizer. What the deposits from the raccoons, the squirrels, the birds, all the other wildlife that can have disease, that can enter the body of the pet, and maybe even get to us. You know, good point, Dr. Fleck. As the globe warms, mosquitoes will roam beyond their current habitat, shifting from the burden of diseases like malaria. Is it dengue fever? Dengue fever, Dr. Fleck? How do you pronounce that? Dengue. Dengue. Is it dengue fever? I well, I don't know. We'll ask our guests. That's a good idea. Okay. Now, I remember this one from when I first got here. Chikungunya. Chikungunya. And West Nile virus dust. You know, these mosquito-borne diseases, they're hard to pronounce. Well, anyway, another consequence of roaming mosquitoes is the diseases that they will also transmit to our pets. And joining us to talk about mosquito-borne diseases and how they affect our pets is Dr. Rashika Pereira, Associate Professor at Colorado State University. At the University, Dr. Rushika Pereira's laboratory focuses on understanding the impact of cellular metabolism on the replication of mosquito and tick-borne flavoviruses within their vertebrate hosts and arthropod vectors. It's a lot to talk about. So, Dr. Pereira, welcome to the Pet Buzz. Thank you. Hello, Charlotte and Dr. Fleck. Tell us what you do on a daily basis in your lab. <laughs> sure, nothing to be scared about. Uh, so I am interested in looking at how viruses alter the biochemistry of mosquitoes and humans to benefit uh, their replication and their spread. Well, you know, one of the new hot topics is how global warming affects mosquitoes. And I'm sure that ties in to what she's doing a little bit. Is that correct, Dr. Pereira? Yes, um, definitely uh, global warming uh, increases the habitats that mosquitoes feel comfortable in. And so we see a larger spread of mosquitoes from the hot zones, tropical zones to more temperate climates. Um, and that means if mosquitoes spread to different geographic areas, you have also a spread of disease. Well, we know about mosquitoes down here, right, Doc, down in Florida. Yes, we do. So now we know they're moving north. Okay, will some of them leave us here, please? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a question that I've thought about a number of times. Do mosquitoes love our pets as much as they love humans? Yes, absolutely. So mosquitoes love carbon dioxide. And so your pets also uh, perspire and they release carbon dioxide. So mosquitoes love uh, any warm body that um, attracts them. And so our pets have a lot of attractants. And yes, so they do bite them. 
You know, I must have a lot of carbon dioxide because <laughs> I get bitten by a lot of mosquitoes. You know, it's interesting when I first moved, I'm going to sidetrack because I'm just curious about this. When I first moved to Florida, I mean, within days, I had 30 or 40 mosquito bites. They still bite me, but not as much as they used to. Has my body changed based on the climate, Dr. Pereira? Yes, uh, so it's possible. Uh, there's some mosquitoes are attracted to some individuals more than others, and it's uh, new research is uh, discovering that it's because of some of the volatile compounds that uh, are released from our skin. So if your uh, diet changes, if your body changes, those compounds will be uh, altered as well. So, yes. Well, Florida is a destination of so many people that come from the northern part of the United States. I wonder if that same thing happens to the pets has happened to you. You know, that's a good point because so many people are moving here. I mean, Florida is the third largest state. It's become the third largest state in the last, I don't know, seven or eight years. And so many people are coming here with their pets. So this is really a great conversation to have. Yeah. So um, what is the most common mosquito transmitted affliction that affects dogs and cats? And can you talk about how it affects our pets? Sure. Um, so there's several mosquito transmitted diseases that affect the dogs and cats. Uh, heartworm is one of the big ones. Uh, and then also West Nile. Um, and with heartworm, they, uh, these worms get into the dogs and cats and affect the heart functions and also the lung functions. And so they can, um, they can sometimes have no symptoms or they can have severe disease um, depending on how, badly they've been infected oh, cats get heartworm too i i think we see more dogs with heartworm correct dr Pereira? yes dogs are more prone to heartworm cats can get some of it uh, and some lung infections but it's not as prevalent as in dogs well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Dr. Rushka Pereira, Associate Professor at Colorado State University, about mosquito-borne ailments of dogs and cats. This is very, very fascinating, and I think it's something that we all need to be aware of. So you had a question, Dr. Yeah, Flack. what other mosquito-borne diseases affect our pets? Uh, so there's um, also eastern equine encephalitis virus and western equine encephalitis is mostly in horses. So if you have horses, uh, that's a concern. Uh, but there is a vaccine for those viruses. And um, mostly really West Nile and uh, heartworm. Yeah. And pets don't get malaria, do they? Uh, not that I know of, but I'm not an expert in that area. Okay. I was just curious because I know people were had been talking about that. It seems that malaria is on the rise as well. Well, we need to take a commercial break. Uh, Dr. Pereira, can you stick around for another segment? A few more questions? Sure. Great. Well, more of Dr. Pereira talking about her research and about mosquito-borne diseases and how they affect our pets. Also, uh, we have the global pet news. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. 
I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck here at the Pet Buzz. We are urban, suburban, and, and country. country. We're back with Dr. Rushika Pereira, associate professor at Colorado State University. And at the university, Dr. Rushika Pereira's laboratory focuses on understanding the impact of cellular metabolism on the replication of mosquito and tick-borne flavoviruses within the vertebrate host and arthropod vectors. I'm curious, what's the best way to protect our pets? I mean, if we know, um, are some of the medications not necessarily good for multi-pet households? I mean, should we look at each pet as an individual? So um, certainly protecting the pets from heartworm is rather easy and the medication works well. And so that's definitely a recommendation. Um, I am not an expert in um, some of the uh, veterinary medicines, so I'm not sure if there's specific um, changes you should make if you have multi-pet household, but heartworm medicine is um, quite uh, harmless and so you can uh, protect your pets with it. Uh, the other way to protect the pets is to really look for mosquito breeding grounds around your house and prevent that. So any open bottle caps, any collecting water containers, um, those types of things can be reduced so that the mosquitoes can be reduced. You know, I had recently heard this um, in preparation for this interview that it's that mosquitoes are most active in the early morning and the early evening. I had no idea, but those are the key times when people walk their dogs. Well, that's right, it is. Yes, uh, they are definitely active in the early mornings and evenings. And so if you walk outside, um, you certainly will, uh, will be affected by mosquito bites. Yeah, it might be a good idea to put some, uh, I guess if you're walking your dog, I guess a more natural spray because a lot, of, like I said, most people are going to walk early in the morning. And I, I mean, I walk at five o'clock and also about five or six o'clock. So to put a, maybe a natural one, because a lot of the deep products are not necessarily good for you, right? If your pet rubs up against you. Uh, one option is to put the spray on your clothing so that you can wash the clothing and you don't necessarily get it on your skin. Um, yeah, so natural products certainly uh, are favored, so. Okay, so, you know, our pets are gonna be indoor and outdoor. Should we be treating both the indoor and the outdoor environment? Well, um, like around our house with our lawn yeah, care yeah. provider. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, that's a, uh, it's a personal choice, of course, and uh, it's difficult for me to say whether you should be treating or not, but certainly you want to try to reduce as much disease transmission. And so you want to reduce your uh, mosquitoes around the environment. Um, so my, uh, my personal choice is to, yes, treat the outdoor environment for sure. Um, the indoor environment is e more easily controlled because you can close the windows and other things. Yeah. You know, I should tell you my personal experience that with the clientele that I deal with, the pet owners, that those that do treat the outside, their yards, etc., they have a lot less infective processes that go on, including the insects. So I do think that that's probably a valuable experience 
for every pet owner to consider anyway. I mean, it's an expense, but I think it's a necessary expense considering what we've been talking about and how global warming is affecting us, as well as, you know, Dr. Pereira mentioned, we also have a lot of rain um, Mm -hmm. and it's been hot all over the world now. I mean, crazy temperatures in England, crazy temperatures in France, over 104. I've spent many summers in France and we've never had such hot summers. So I think it's really important to 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 recognize what's going on in the world and how it affects living with your dog and not only living but the expense you know charlotte what we do to protect our pets also protects us yeah that's true but you know what i want to learn a little bit more about what dr Pereira is researching yeah so tell us a little bit more about what you're doing in the in your own laboratory i'm so impressed yeah, so we uh, we focus on both the human and mosquito, and we mainly focus on dengue viruses. Mm-hmm. So dengue hemorrhagic fever is uh, widespread in the tropical areas of the world. And we are interested in how this virus gets in the mosquito and then alters the mosquito's biochemistry to thrive in the mosquito and be transmitted by the mosquito. And so we are interested in blocking some of those um, biochemical pathways in the mosquito so that we can prevent the virus from being transmitted. So you're trapping the virus in the mosquito, basically. So it's like a vaccine that you uh, use to prevent the mosquito from transmitting virus. So how does the mosquito get the virus? It gets the virus from uh, biting another human who has the virus in its bloodstream. And so then the mosquito gets it when it bites you and then can... It spreads it. It spreads it. But it takes seven days-ish to uh, spread the virus because the virus has to amplify in the mosquito first. I just think it's important to recognize that, you know, mosquitoes can be dangerous Uh, It's important to wear bug spray. Now I think it's better to put it on your clothes. I learned that tip. And to be conscious of the actions that you do that can bring them into your home and on your property and recognize that they can affect not only your health, but your pet's health. Uh, Would you be so kind as to share your website with us so we can learn more about you and your research and her laboratory? Oh my gosh, yes. I got to say the laboratory. Yes, yes. You can uh, Google Rushika Pereira at CSU and you should be able to go straight to my website. Well, Dr. Pereira, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate having you here. It was really a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you, Dr. Fleck. Bye. Have a great day. Time for Global Pet News. And now Pet Buzz News from around the globe. Spotify's pet playlist launched in 2020, but have you taken advantage of this feature yet? The lists are curated based on your pet's personality and your personal music taste. Choose your animal type, then share your pet's name, and Spotify walks you through a series of questions so its algorithm can tailor a listening experience with music pulled from your own streaming habits. You can also stream its This Is Pet Music playlist, which has 50 tracks or 
press play on Pets Music Radio. Each song is geared toward helping animals relax. Additionally, there are full albums devoted to the genre, and all you need to do is search for something like puppy music or bird music under albums and add them to your library. Of course, you can always handpick songs for your pet according to their temperament, needs, or species. My dogs and cats love it, and yours will too. Well, let's end the show with Tell Me Something Good. And back to like... Please. News of the day got you down? No worries. Pet trendologist Charlotte Reed is here with Tell Me Something Good. This is a necessity like air and oxygen. Tell me something good. Make room for the latest addition to the Seattle Mariners roster. Tucker. On Saturday this past weekend, the team announced that he is the new clubhouse dog and will be a regular attendant for the team's home games and occasional road games, according to MLB.com. Seattle adopted the four-year-old Labrador Retriever mix from Ocan Dogs Dog Rescue located in Kashmir, Washington. The organization called the Mariners early in the summer when Tucker arrived at its rescue center. But before becoming an official team member, Tucker had to undergo an in-depth scouting process from team personnel. Once Tucker made it through the procedure, Jack Mosaman, Mariners director of Major League Operations, made the two and a half hour car trip to acquire the free agent. Tucker didn't have to wait long to make friends with Mariners players. Pitcher Eric Swanson posted a picture giving the dog some love ahead of the team's doubleheader against visiting Los Angeles Angels. Seattle shortstop J.P. Crawford also showed excitement for his newest teammate. Tucker will be a great distraction and therapy dog for the team. Do you know what having a dog will do to those Seattle Mariners? Their bodies and their brains? Well, the cuddle hormone, oxytocin, is released into the brain when we spend time with our dogs. Additionally, researchers have also found that dogs trigger the pleasure hormone, dopamine. The two chemicals carry a number of health benefits including stress relief. Having Tucker around before a big game should help the team relax. But really, having the team adopt Tucker, now that's something good. Hey, before we go, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. So next week, we're talking about the best cities for cats and how to prep your pet for the vet. That's going to be a good show. Yes, it will be. Dr. Fleck, would you thank our guests? Yes, yeah, special thanks to our great guests, Dr. Michael Lappin and Dr. Rishika Pereira. And we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. And of course, Hunter's Healthy Treats, making delicious, all-natural, soft-baked dog treats made in the U.S. of A. And if you have a question, write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We'll cover it on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of the show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channels and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. And most importantly, though, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. www.thepetbuzz.com Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.